so um, I got my undergraduate degree in uh, physical education and music um, and uh, was a cross-country track athlete uh, all four years um, at the University of Northern Iowa. So I received my bachelor's degree uh, from Northern Iowa and I also received my master's degree in both uh, exercise science and athletic training uh, from the University of Northern Iowa. Uh, it then went on uh, to coach uh, college cross country and track uh, for uh, many years, uh, including um, the reason we came to the Twin Cities, which was to coach at Bethel University. Uh, once my kids started to get of an age where we started realizing they're gonna go to school, I realized that my profession wasn't one that was going to be conducive to me being able to be at home when I wanted to be home with the kids. And so um, I decided to start working on my PhD. Um, I was accepted at the program at the University of Minnesota, and I got my PhD from the U in both uh, exercise physiology and uh, epidemiology. So I've got both the spectrum of the sports performance side of things as well as um, from a public health standpoint. Uh, went on uh, to continue coaching at Bethel. I was working on my PhD and then eventually transitioned into being a full-time faculty member at the University of Minnesota, uh, which I was there for 17 years uh, and then came here. My undergraduate degree is from the University of Minnesota at Morris in English secondary education. And I actually then was in the business world. I worked in the mortgage business and I worked as a broker and a loan officer and in other big ticket sales careers for about five years. Then I went back to law school and I graduated from law school. Had, we had our two children back to back. And then I uh, started a little publishing house. So I have published uh, six kids books and we won four national awards. And then I uh, was adjuncting here at the same time and adjuncting at North Central University. And then when my youngest child was going to go to school full-time, I needed to get more of a full-time job and one opened up here. So I have been here full-time now for, I think this is, will be my seventh year full-time. So wow. yeah. And now I'm finishing my PhD in uh, public policy and administration with an emphasis in criminal justice. So I will hopefully have that soon completed. I'm sure, you know, even the wording of that is is a little misleading. Um, what they wanted me to do was they wanted me to see a path um, that made sense to them uh, that they could talk to a nine-year-old and get a nine-year-old to tell the story that they wanted to hear, not the one of actual truth. And And so... You know the whole the whole case in, involving uh, the murder of my mom was was one that was full of corruption, um, half truths, um, lost uh, evidence. Um, it was you know really if you look back on it um, amazingly today, none of this would have happened uh, by today's standards. And and so it, it's kind of like if you know, I had uh, knee surgery after getting hit by a car. Um, that surgery ended my college career. I had the same injury uh, six years ago on the other knee, and I was downhill skiing in two months after that. So, it, you know, what I'm talking about is that 
um, when things happen in life and circumstances, a lot of times it's just the timing of it and what's available at that time. And what was available at that time uh, is really what allowed uh, my dad's case to go through the way it did. And, and so, you know, for me, there's there's a few things involving um, my case that that really stuck out. Number one is um, once they had all, all of our family members uh, together, my dad told us as a family of six kids that God had taken our mom home to be with him. And I, I remember um, very distinctly thinking at that time, what kind of a God needs my mom more than I do? Um, sounds incredibly selfish, but at nine, I think that's the mind of a nine-year-old. Um, that That's the level of thought I had. And, and so I had pretty much a, a dislike for God at, the, at that moment, um, not being able to understand. And I'm not sure how else my dad would have been given an opportunity to present that to us as kids if there had been a better way to do it. But nonetheless, that's what was told to us. So I, you know, I have in front of me basically a love per, a person, a relationship. So when you listed those top five things that are causes for stress in people's life, four of those five involved relationships. And so for me, the loss of my mom was a relationship lost and certainly a trusted relationship I lost. Then to have FBI and and other adults that were well aware of what was going on and the questioning of me and the badgering of me uh, for evidence, adults witnessed this and and nobody said anything. And so, you know, I had this mistrust for God and I I certainly didn't trust adults um, when I realized our legal authorities are not not telling me the full story or they're getting me to say something that's absolutely not true and then to have other adults sit in on those conversations and and not interfere with those stories it is incredibly mind-boggling so you know for me I, I I think the reality is um how did this not destroy me um I you know I I marvel at it and uh you know I don't know my own family might say I'm a little crazy um, but at the end of the day, I, I basically came out on the other side, standing on both feet. And, and, and I think that's, that's an interesting piece out of all this is despite me not trusting people, um, I have no doubt God had his hand on me the entire time and continued to put people in my life that prevented me from becoming a destructive person. And the mere f- fact that I really didn't like God um, left a pretty bu- big gap in my life. Um, you know, I basically grew up now in a family that, that wasn't capable of showing love. I, it wasn't intentional. It just wasn't a situation where you'd be surrounded with love. And um, But then I had this inward pursuit of excellence. And I think that's something that God gave me, and it's what protected me from from becoming, um, you know, disorderly in my thoughts, and, and uh, you, you know how people get angry today, and they think they're owed everything. I, I just, I, I never faced life like that. I just faced life with, I got to do this on my own um, kind of mentality, and, and, and I think it served me well. 
But again, remarkably, I had this hole in my heart, whether it was the gaping hole of losing my mom, whether it was not being able to trust any adult, um, you know, who knows what. But the reality was I needed something to fill that hole. And for a lot of people, they resort to things that are harmful. Um, for me, I just, you know, when people talk about living a, a God-fearing life or a life that reflects God, um, the importance of that is is remarkable because all it was was somebody that was living a lifestyle of godly living right in front of me, and I was attracted to it. Wow. You know, I wasn't attracted to disruptive things of life, whether it be alcohol and drugs, um, you know, or harmful things to me. I, I was attracted to a lifestyle that was full of love and, and full of production and, and seemed to really care about, genuinely care about people. And, uh, you know, I'm so grateful God gave me that hole in my heart and I was able to seek what was good in the world, not what was bad in the world. And, uh, you know, that's, I just praise God for, for the reality of putting me in a place where I sought good uh, rather than evil through all the things that I was uh, um, unfortunately a product of. But I see things to the finish, and when I see things to the finish, I see them to the finish with perfection. And and I truly believe that's just a gift God has given me. Um, so having to work for results has always been my mantra. Um, nothing was ever given to me. I, you know, I didn't have support systems where you know people were thrilled about anything I did or accomplished, and yet I was able to accomplish a lot. And and I think the reality was. In my mind, if you worked hard and you did what was right, you got rewards for that, even though there were no external awards. And, and I, again, I, I equated my work ethic with outcomes. And somehow surrounded in all of that was also the desire to always do what was right. Doesn't mean I always got it right, uh, but I certainly was pursuing excellence and in in college when I actually accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior everything changed from that moment on I finally had a purpose of why I was doing everything um I I wanted to glorify God in everything that I did so even before where I would I would work hard to get good outcomes there wasn't a purpose in that drive and when I realized that God loved me and certainly forgave me for lying in a trial that put my dad in prison, uh, the weight of the world was off of me at that time, and I started pursuing excellence at a whole new level, and it was just simply to glorify God, and, and what an opportunity that's been for me. All right. Well, I'll start off with a, a quote. If um, any of my students know me, they know that I like quotes, biblical quotes and quotes by 
great thinkers. And so I'll start with one that um, touches me with regard to this topic. And it is, if all our misfortunes were laid in one common heap, whence everyone must take an equal portion, most people would be content to take their own and depart. And that is from Socrates. And um, and so I have always hung to that quote because I think it is easy for us sometimes who have been hurt in different ways or gone through struggles. And even though I came from a very good family and was blessed to grow up in a beautiful place, um, there were some real tragedies in my life and real hard things. Um, and, and one I'll talk more about and then others are, you know, something that are um, – you know, just they, they include other people and are something that can't really be shared as of yet. But uh, when I was 20 um, or so, I, I and a friend were traveling far from home and we were the victims of a pretty serious crime. And so without going into a lot of details, um, my friend was uh, definitely more so the victim than I was. And um, we both uh, were, we did not report the crime. We came back home and just went on with our lives. And it was an interesting experience. Um, and, I, and I'll tie that back in with the title of the segment on how to overcome life's difficulties. And there are certain difficulties that I think we all go through, different difficulties. I mean, if you are in your 40s, as I am, um, by that time, everyone's had some pretty traumatic things in their life. And, and a lot of people younger, like Dr. Ingram, had really hard things really early in life. Um, but certainly by the time you end your life, you have had something really hard and oftentimes many, many really, really hard things. And so um, it's something that a lot of times we don't just one time overcome and done. Uh, overcome is a process and sometimes it requires you to be highly proactive in that process and it's something that I always tell students that um, maybe come to me who are also going through a real hard time that you want to have certain good things in mind and you want to let that hard time not define you but refine you you don't want that to be the be-all and end-all and it wasn't until recent years um, looking back and, and hearing some of the, the testimonies of the Me Too movement and all these different things that have come down the pike just in recent years that I realized, wow, what my, my good friend and I went through back then, that was kind of a big deal. You know, that, you know and, and did we actually process that? And how did, how did that shape me? And and, you know, I came back from this pretty um, traumatic event, and I was in karate for two years. And that was a positive choice I made to make sure that I was, to the degree possible, able to not have to be in that situation again. Um, and so that was something that the experience, because of my choice to be proactive, it refined me versus defining me. Um, whereas, as Dr. Ingram mentioned, I think... The tragedy is for a lot of people, they have a traumatic experience, and then they let it define them, and then they let it spiral them into disrepair. They make choices with what has happened to them, and then let that be a doorway into drugs or alcohol, as Dr. Ingram mentioned. And um, I mean, right. if you study anything about alcohol, that's the exact thing you should avoid like the plague if you're going through a hard time. I mean, because it is horrible to your psyche. It's horrible to your body. Um, it's just a gateway to other problems. And, and so you have to learn when you're going through hard times to choose proactively positive responses. Dr. Ingram chose, you know, a life of excellence in both athletics and academics. Um, and to really kind of channel that negative energy into something positive. 
um, why have we both gone on and lived productive lives after something traumatic? And, and since that time, I've probably had uh, at least two or three worse things happen in my life. But that one's more relatable with this age bracket right now. So, um, and, you know, I, I think a lot of it has to do with we all are going to have sad things or hard things happen in our life. And we can't always control that. But to the degree possible, I believe the people who can overcome are the ones who have chosen when possible to put beautiful things into their life, right? And, and I can give you a Bible verse, one of another Bible. Is that okay to yeah, give a Bible? Uh, Philippians 4, 8. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are good, report. If there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. So to the, you cannot always choose the experiences of your life, and some are going to be really sad and really horrible. But there are a lot of things you can choose. You can choose to not drink or do drugs. Huge huge thing that lends towards the positive of your life. There are certain people you cannot just get rid of in your life, but there are certain people you can disassociate with. And so one thing I always tell people going through hard times, who are the people in your life who are really good for your health? That doesn't mean you have to go and cast all your burdens upon them, but be with them. In my own life, I had one person who was probably the more perfect person in my whole life was my grandfather. I talk about him all the time because he was just kind of a saving grace for a lot of us in our family. Um, but if I was going through a hard time, I would just go sit at his house and watch Vanna White. He called it Vanna White. It was actually called, um, what is the name of that show even? It's called, I always I always call it Vanna White. It's not even the Wheel show. Wheel of Fortune? That's it. That's it. Okay. So I think he was more so watching Vanna <laughs> than Wheel of Fortune, but we'd sit and watch Wheel of Fortune. And just being in his presence and just hearing him say to me, and, and he, without even telling him, he always knew I was going through a hard time. He'd be like, it'll be okay. Don't worry. You're going to be fine, honey. You're going to be fine. And just to be around that, and I didn't have to tell him anything. I didn't tell him any of my problems, but just being around that sort of light and beauty and blessing um, was a saving grace for me. But other things, too, are good. You know, reading good books. Uh, listening to wholesome, beautiful music. When I'm going through a hard time or I'm sad, I start say, singing, you know, Amazing Grace, the first verse, which I know, you know, or uh, Be Thou My Vision, um, and just yes. guarding my mind. Or one thing, too, that is healthy is exercise. I, I do this every night. I, I, I'm a huge believer in the power of moderate exercise on a daily basis for not just, I, I'm not an athlete, but <laughs> but I do believe it's valuable for your psyche and it's valuable for um, your endorphins, it's valuable for your immune system. And so I put as much positive things in my life as possible, be it healthy food, good exercise, good people, good books, good music, because you can't get rid of all that other stuff, but you can dilute it. You can, you can dilute it by your choice to pour beautiful things into your life. Going into my uh, final year of uh, eligibility in college, I had signed a uh, cross-country track scholarship for the following academic year because um, at that point my music scholarship was running out and uh, I had shown enough um, success uh, in cross-country track that they decided to uh, go ahead and fund my final year. And on that very day that I signed, uh, it was following uh, qualifying for nationals uh, the Saturday before. And so I left signing in my uh, coach's office and went out for a run, and um, a car backed up without looking, and 
the whole impact of the car was on my knee and um, I suffered a concussion as well. But I remember laying on the cement, hearing the sirens come, and all I could think about was Isaiah 40, 31, those that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. And I just remember a peace that just overwhelmed me of God's presence, despite knowing <laughs> that my career was over. Um, you know, I eventually came back and, and uh, was able to race with a, a, a state team uh, representing Nike. Um, and so that was a lot of years it took me to get back there. But again, I just remember laying on the cement and how important it is to make sure your life is is spiritually on fire because just like that it could be taken out from under you and and I, I again that peace where would I have gotten that without having memorized verses and then having the verses that are meaningful in a moment of need just pop into my head um you know it was a pretty impactful moment that that verse has always been a strong verse for me just because um, there's a lot of things uh, regarding my dad's case and, and trying to get the verdict overturned and everything. Once I understood as an adult, I could do that. And a lot of that was waiting on God and, and realizing there was a lot of circumstances that were way outside my control. Um, and, and so waiting upon God and, and let him renew our strength um, is it's a verse I rely on uh greatly with with so many things um in my life and it's not even my life verse my life verse is be still and know that i am god because um i i'm a restless person <laughs> and so for me to settle down and listen is uh rather remarkable so um but if you put those verses together in life they're great verses to carry you through uh no matter what you're facing because you know, we may think it's the perfect job. We may think it's the perfect relationship. We may think, um, it, you know, it, it, it's the perfect opportunity. And and then something comes up and God says, no, this isn't really the job I want you to have. And yet in your mind, it was the perfect job. And, and that's where you just go, all right, in God's timing. And uh, I, I, I don't think we're very patient people because we're kind of you know, fascinated with uh, instant gratification. And, and so to be able to wait on God's timing, uh, which usually is in our timing, is um, is a verse that needs to be processed as Christians. Um, one that I jotted down before today was Romans eight twenty eight, And we know for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. And that is something that it resonates one with a quote that in the criminal justice system, you hear this quote often, you hear about how hurting people hurt others. And that's true a lot of times. A lot of the, a lot of the criminals, if you go back and study their life history, were really um, traumatized by terrible things in their life. Terrible, terrible things. Um, and that's an incomplete statement, though, because hurting people 
uh, hurt people, but they are oftentimes um, the ones who go forth and help the most people too. You know, I mean, Dr. Ingram went through an extraordinary experience young in her life, but she chose to go forth and help people. And, and I think it's true that some of those darkest status times can refine us in a way that is used for his glory. And it does not always make t- sense at that time. Um, right. that, that years after the fact, you're like, oh, wow, I, I understand now better what I went through at 20 because now I can, you know, better understand certain aspects of the criminal justice system or I can understand victimization or I can understand what, you know, a a young gal who comes to me and shares her experience is going through and and how to walk her through that process or, you know, so so there's a lot of truth to that where um, all things do come together for his glory and 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 not in our timing do we always understand that it, it might take decades before it makes sense. Maybe you don't ever see it in your lifetime, but uh, just having faith that there was some sort of purpose. You know, the timing of things I think is is remarkable. Um, When I was hit by the car, it ended my college career, and I wasn't identified just by being a runner, though it had a lot to do with my identity. but that accident kept me from being in the team van in uh, October of that following fall as our team was traveling to a meet. Um, I was sidelined with a knee injury. And um, as a scholarship athlete, I usually travel with the team, but I, yeah, she had asked the coach the night before if it'd be okay if I st- stayed back. Um, I had school work to do. And she said that was fine. And our team was on the ra- on their way to Drake University, and was um, our team van was T-boned by a truck, and uh, killed basically my replacement um, on the team. Um, her first name is also Stacy, and you know I I never from that moment on questioned my knee injury. I complained a lot. <laughs> Like, I, I prayed to God to take the desire of running away from me um, if he didn't want running to be a part of my life, and, and he never did, and then running became um, a great opportunity for me to share Christ with people. That was kind of the the uh, platform God had given me. And so um, the reality is, when I was hit by a car, did I know that following October my team would be in an accident that would kill one of my teammates? No. But I think that's a lot of our events that happen in life is we don't actually get to know the reason. And a lot of people spend their time trying to figure out the reason rather than trying to figure out how to use that for God's glory and and to move on. Um you know, I think one of the interesting things is that, uh, you know, women suffer from depression far more than men, and one of the reasons is women have a, a reminiscent part of their brain that constantly replays events. Um, when compared to men, when they do MRI studies, uh, they can see this. And, you know, it, it's a cause of depression is to keep replaying things over and over and over again. And and I think you that tells you an inherent um problem that the female brain has is um, constantly replaying things. So, you know, I always tell people when they're struggling, delete the email, delete the text, don't keep rereading it. Um, it, It's almost like we want to wallow in our our, um, affliction and all we got to do is delete it. 
Mm-hmm. Um, another way to put that would be just give it to God and be done with it. Right. Um, and, and so f- for me, I have one time in my life where I can say, okay, I understand my accident now. Um, I feel very bad for my friend who was killed and her parents, but the mere fact that she came to know Christ in a Bible study that we had on our team, because our relationship with Christ was a big deal at a secular school, and uh, she came to know Christ through that, through the discipline of running, through our friendship, and you know, I had no trouble with her death, and the mere fact that I knew she was going home to be with Jesus, um, he happened to need her, um, or, or had used, she had been used for his purpose. And, um, you know, it's really remarkable to think about me being sad about a knee injury because it ends my college career and yet it saved my life. And it's always given me more purpose and everything. Like, don't waste this. God is wanting to use you. So when he gives you these opportunities, boy, you got to take advantage of it. I talk to my kids about this at this uh, this very topic. Sometimes I think, and trying to train them up as well, how to not do this, is people do tend to ruminate. I, that's what I call the word I use. Don't ruminate on bad stuff. Yeah, I know. It's just like you keep fixating on it, fixating on it, and and, and I, I I work on it myself. And actually, there's there's three little. I have that tendency. I tend to overthink things. Yeah, and. Yeah, exactly. And don't don't relive that. Or, you know, if I, I did something and messed up on something and my kids want to ruminate on like, hey, just let it go. You know, like I've heard about this, you know, 17 times. But there, there's actually a couple like um, uh, songs as of late. There's some recent songs that have some good sage advice. So it makes me think of Frozen and the song Let It Go. There is some sage wisdom there. Just let it go. Um, or Taylor Swift, shake it off, right? You know, and so so there's some sage advice. But here's here's one too that I actually um, a little more gravitas here. Um, it was actually from. Let me find my my quote here. It is from oh oh Mark Twain. There we go. This is this is good. This is good. So Mark Twain said, "Anger is an acid that can do more harm to the vessel in which it is stored than to anything on which it is poured." And uh, and I, there's such truth there. I think I know it's maybe not biblical, but it, you know it's Mark Twain, so you know, he's a little more credible than the movie Frozen, probably. But there there's truth to you need to you know bad things are going to happen in everybody's life, and you need to kind of learn how to just channel that into something good channel it into something good. So, you know, for me, when I'm going through a hard time or somebody's hurt my feelings or something like that, um, there's things that I know that are positive in my life. Like I'll, I'll be really mad or about something and then I get in the treadmill. And that helps me. That helps me just kind of get my mind and it's a positive thing, right? Rather than ruminating it, I just take that energy. Or there's a season in life where I wrote a lot. And, and rather than channeling all that energy or that emotion into something negative, I wrote a lot of great stuff. And ironically, I've never written anything of worth when I was in a high of happiness. It was always in the dark times. And I've read that from other writers, too, that their best stuff usually comes in those valleys. And so channel that energy. Um, or for me personally, you know, sometimes um, there'll be some weird thing. I'll be offended or hurt or sad. Um, or I power clean my house all night. You know, it's like, yeah. And so, so trying to be proactive with you know, knowing, and the, you know, that's that's kind of a thing too. And also, you know, knowing um, what are things that you do that are healthy for you. So, um, you know, being proactive with it. You know, something is hard going to happen, and, and it maybe takes years to figure that out in your own life. What helps you get out of that, um, or helps you overcome whatever it is? But there's there's different things I know that I do um, and channel that into. So, right, right. 
I think what's really important is to understand um, adversity to us is varied on our previous exposures. Um, it, and so, you know, I always share the story of my daughter coming out of school. Uh, she was a, a first grader and, you know, I would be standing out there waiting for her and, and I said, how was your day? And she goes, it was the worst day of my life. It, and, you know, I, you just have to not, you know, show that you're going to find some humor in this. Um, but I never once shared my adversities in my life with my kids so that we had a, a pecking order of whose life was more traumatic. Um, her life had been traumatic that day because, number one, I forgot to pack her a snack. Um, and then second of all, we forgot to send her, uh, her, her running shoes for gym class. And, you know, in her scheme of life, that was as bad as it had been. I think it's really important that um, I have an attitude of always just rub some dirt on it and get up and, and go. And that's how we've raised our kids. But I've never belittled my kids for what seems to be traumatic to them because trauma is real and adversity is real. And everybody's going to face adversity. You know, we just got news last week that some friends that we used to be in a couple's Bible study with, um, you know, our kids are the same age. Um, they're getting a divorce. And I, I think, you know, you just, you look up from the newspaper and you go, okay, the odds of us succeeding at marriage, the statistics would say they're not very good. And even as Christians, the statistics are not very good. And I think our life parallels our relationship with Christ in relationships. Um, I need to love my husband for everything and for everything that he does for me. And because he is who he is, I, I don't need to have expectations for him that are beyond what we're supposed to do in, in our love for each other. And I think sometimes we lose sight it, it, when you're married. You know, we've been married 27 years now. And I think you lose sight in all those years of, you know, almost routine and, and not letting your spouse know how much you love them on a daily basis. And, and so, you know, again, talking about the first five things you said, four of those were relationships related to adversity. And um, I, I just think it's so important that, that, number one, we make sure we're dialed in to other people and not so dialed into ourselves that we're not realizing things are bothering somebody or, or um, that they're going through something that might not be stressful to you, but it's real stress to them, uh, you know, just being there. And I, I think developing your love for Christ in such a way that you're constantly seeking him just as you are constantly seeking a way to show your spouse that you love him every day. My life verse is probably uh, Proverbs 31, 8, 9, where it just paraphrase says, speak up for those who can't speak for themselves. So just, you know, when I'm going through a hard time, just kind of 
not think about myself anymore, you know, because sometimes when I think about myself, it's almost the reverse, you know, you, you know, I'm hurting, I want to think about me, but it's almost the worst thing to do sometimes. Sometimes it's better just start yeah. thinking about other people, like, ah, who can I go help? Who can I, who can I go help? Who can I go speak up for? Yeah. Um, and it, that's kind of a healing process. It's almost reverse psychology a little bit, right? Where, you know, when you're going through a hard time, you want people to come in and help <laughs> you, which, which is good too, but sometimes you just need to kind of go out and help others, go out and serve others, go out and speak up for others who are hurting because no matter how much you're hurting almost always there's somebody else who's in a worse situation that you can go find and be a helper help them find hope um there is a young lady who uh, committed suicide this past um winter uh olympic cyclist from the twin cities and she was chasing what was the opposite of god um, not believing in anything. And the saddest part about that is what is there to get up to every day if you don't see purpose in life? And, and so when I say hope, you know, hope can look like a lot of different things, but I think the, the first thing is, you know, the sun comes up every day. We may not see it. They may be hidden by high clouds, but the sun is always there, and Christ is always there. And, and we may try to hide behind some clouds sometimes, but um, boy, if you, if you can leave people with a sense of hope and a belief, uh, I I think it's the greatest calling we have is to help people know that number one, through Christ's eyes, they're they're very very important, and um, that on every day that you wake up, you should feel a calling. And, you know, the way I live life is every encounter I have is a valuable encounter. So if I'm at Target, I'm going to engage with the person checking me out because I want to know how their day is going. And I'll do it within the confines of their job. But every encounter is a special encounter, and it's not by chance. And, and so I... I just really think no matter where we are, I had a lady yesterday, she was so gracious. I was at the grocery store and I can't lift anything right now uh, following surgery uh, with my arm. And um, boy, she recognized it. She bagged my groceries. She helped me out to my car and she lifted all my groceries into my, in my car. And you know, I would love to think I would have done the same thing. And I would love to think that I raised my kids to do the same thing. So I don't think that this, these encounters are by chance. Uh, she actually asked if I had somebody at home that could help me, and which meant she was willing to come to my home and unload those groceries, having no idea where I lived. And, <laughs> and, and, and again, that's just purposeful living. If you wake up every day thinking, what am I going to get out of life? You're, you're missing so much. It's what can I give back? And I think that's where the hope comes is that when you see purpose, uh, so much can be fulfilled in life. But again, that's having your eyes fixed on, fixed on Jesus and looking at every opportunity. Everyone, Everyone's going through struggles. You know, I mean, at any given time, if everybody had like their number one struggle worn on their t-shirt, you'd be like, whoa, you know, who knew? So, you know, if you operate from the premise that everybody is probably going through something pretty bad, at that very time and then just everybody meets speak life and I'm not perfect at this but I do teach this in my classes and I'll give an example um 
I, I have my students send um, blessing cards to people as part of their. Um, <laughs> I have sorry, my shoes just fell. Um, I I have my students. Uh, some of them grumble, many of them roll their eyes, but I have them uh, write cards to people at the very end. I teach classes, and one thing I teach about is tying back to my Bible verse about uh, speak up for those and, and who can't speak for themselves, and the power of words. And a lot of my classes tie back to words, be it law or writing classes. And I, I tell them use your words to be a blessing to people. So I have them write out handwritten cards. Yes, yes very old fashioned. <laughs> yes, and I make them write those cards, and and I have gotten messages back from students over the years about how it was a blessing to someone that they never imagined. Uh, one of my students, and uh, she said how she sent one of those cards to her aunt, not thinking it would matter at all, but her aunt had just lost her husband. And her aunt wrote her a message saying, you know, that card means so much to me. I keep it on my bedside every night because your words were a blessing to me and, and and I tell young people I say you know you're young you probably don't have a lot of money to donate to your favorite cause you probably don't have a lot of time to maybe go and help a family in need but you all have words and start thinking about how you can use your words to speak life into other people's lives because sometimes it, it, it is just a little word or the smallest little thing that you give to somebody else that can be everything to them I mean yeah. just everything and, and you know and, and so sometimes just little tiniest things off of your life um, giving and being a, a, a sore of good season I could give you one other little story I, I tell my students about how um, one time I was in a workplace and it was a terrible workplace we made a ton of money but it was a terrible work environment and I sat next to a guy for about 10 hours a day and I didn't know anything about him other than I knew one day it was his birthday and I um, had already scarfed three boxes of Girl Scout cookies, and I had an extra one, and I thought, hmm, I need not eat another box of Girl Scout cookies, so I'm going to give these to him for his birthday. So it was really not even me trying to be a blessing, more so just trying to get the cookies away out of my house so I didn't eat them. And so I gave him the cookies, and I said, happy birthday. And that was the extent of my kindness. And I looked over at him, and a few minutes later, this big, strong, tough guy was kind of teary-eyed and weeping. He's like, this is this is the only gift anyone gave me for my birthday. This meant a lot to me. And I thought, wow, I wasn't even really trying to be kind. <laughs> I was just trying to get him out of my house. But to him, that I gave him something for his birthday was so big. So being in the blessing business sometimes doesn't cost much in time or money. It might be just something really small, but it can mean really huge things to other people so that's that's what i say and and so the return you get on that is huge and and so being a blessing to other people can help you heal but it can also help others